BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We need elected representation to take the very unique brand of mayoral politics out of how our schools are run. It is not working for us. She's totally wrong on this one. I don't know why she's gone back on her promise. I don't know why she's putting up roadblocks, but I know that residents in the 49th Ward are, are absolutely tired of it. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Alderman Maria Haddon, who represents the far north side's 49th Ward, which includes Rogers Park and West Ridge, bordered by Evanston on the north and Edgewater to the south. Alderman, you defeated longtime Alderman Joe Moore to win your seat on the city council. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'll bet you didn't expect your first term as a Chicago alderman to be defined by a pandemic that has lasted a year, kept kids out of school, and caused so very much hardship. You would be right in that bet. Most definitely not what I expected. And it's been, it's necessitated being a lot more adaptable and flexible than I, than I normally am. Yeah. How has your job changed during all this and how are you managing? Right now you're looking for volunteers to drive seniors to vaccine appointments. Yeah, I'd say um, I, the best way to think of it would be it's expanded. I, I know that in before running and becoming an older person, I worked in a nonprofit setting, but alongside elected officials here in Chicago, but around the country. And I know that the role of alderman is pretty unique and people call their alderman for everything. And it's, you know, a unique thing in Chicago for your city council representatives. But that's that's even greater now. In this last year, my office, we've set up uh, mutual aid community response networks to get people groceries and deliver medicine. As you mentioned, we're recruiting volunteers to drive seniors to vaccines. You know, we've the types of calls that we get, the types of services that people need are just greater, greater than what they need normally would be. And that does that puts some extra strain right on our already limited resources in the office, but also means that we have an opportunity to be creative and that the role that um, I play and that my office plays and, and my team is even more important to our community members. What's the most creative thing you think you've done? Oh, I'd say some of the some of the community meetings that we had to do over the last summer. So finding ways to do socially distanced outdoor things to address emergencies and urgent needs, setting up, setting up testing sites. And so we shut down streets a couple of times to 
partner with, you know, Howard Brown Health, with Heartland Health, and even with St. Francis Amita Health in Evanston, that's our closest hospital, to do COVID testing over the, the nicer weather months last summer. And, you know, using empty parking lots and, and having to do the logistics piece definitely required some some skills and coordination that, that aren't normally things that my or my, my team would have done. You've worked in AmeriCorps' VISTA program. You were executive director of the nonprofit Our City, Our Voice. Has any of that background helped you? I'd say the the, the things from, from that work, especially my time at the participatory budgeting project in Our City, Our Voice, has actually been that I worked remotely for eight years. So the teams that I worked with in those roles were located in Oakland, in New York City, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and having to function, communicate, manage projects, and keep team building going organizationally and through Zoom calls or video calls or phone calls and remote documents is certainly not new to me. And that's been a huge advantage in being able to adapt the operations of a ward office during this time. What worries you most about the city's response to the pandemic so far? Is it the Chicago public school students who have lost a year and been isolated so much and they're social animals to begin with? They love to be with each other. The restaurants that have closed, the people whose unemployment benefits have run out now. What what worries you most? All of those things are concerning. And I think the thread that runs through them and really at the what we experience in, in working with residents here at the kind of ground level is the the social fabric. I don't know how to best describe that. The way we do things, how people feel about our city, how they feel about things, right? So the economic toll has an impact on that. The disruption with schools has an impact on that. And these are all consequences of the pandemic. But what we really need something to bring us together, to keep our morale up, to give people hope, but also at the same time, demonstrate things that are working. And and I think that there's been some good things about that. And I think there are some areas we could do better. But when we need to, we need to hold people together in, in getting through this and that connection and keeping us together culturally, socially, like as Chicagoans is probably the, the thing that I've seen take the hardest hit. So what ideas do you have for a morale booster civically? One of the programs that we just launched, and this is, you know, I I feel like going through last summer, last year, largely was just new for everybody. But with the problems that we had, the calls that we took at my office, the conversations I had with residents, one of the things was clear is that we need to build that social fabric. So we launched a a new reimagined block club program called Block by Block. So we started signing people up last fall. We've got over 200 people recruited who are interested in building with neighbors on their block. Here in in the 49th Ward and a large part of Rogers Park, we don't have as many blocks of single family homes and that you might see in other parts of the city where block clubs are really strong, right? Even we're 75% renter, the homeowners we have are frequently in condos and we're in really dense areas and it doesn't really support the traditional block club. Um, So we're shaking that up a little bit and looking at geographies like precincts. We'll be providing 
providing training for people on facilitating meetings, bringing in outside experts um, on how to do conflict management, how to plan events, getting people connected so that they can do some programming in their own area of the ward to get each other's phone numbers, know who their neighbors are, and find ways to build and address, you know, maybe smaller issues like loud music or trash pickup on their block, but also creating different ways that they connect to my office. So really that that's our big piece that we're preparing so that we can have a better summer as we as we move forward. What were your thoughts about the city having spent $280 million in federal stimulus funds on police overtime, payroll benefits, and other police expenses? I was shocked, I'll say. And in sharing that response, I'll say some of my residents and colleagues told me I shouldn't. I I know that we've had additional costs, but seeing those numbers and knowing that we had such competing needs, knowing that in that community response team I mentioned that we started, we were doing grassroots fundraising to get to $60,000 so that we could give hardship payments to people. We were making $500 payments through that organization to people for the rent. You know, I've got a huge need here of people who need housing. We've got so many wonderful locally owned small businesses that are scrambling for whatever federal assistance is possible. And to think that we spent $281 million on kind of police and personnel costs that should, I, I think it should have been spent otherwise. And even, you know, money, where it comes from, where it goes. I know some of the arguments from from the mayor and her office have been, you know, well, these were real costs and, and this is what we had to do. But even in thinking about the options that we had in reducing police spending or police overtime um, moving forward, it's just not reflected. I know a lot of my residents that I heard from, it makes them, it makes them very skeptical about how we're going to use the next round of relief. And, and that's going to be my, my charge in, in meeting their needs needs there and focusing on that and making sure that the next round of funding is going directly as possible to Chicagoans. Should there be like a guaranteed income like Alderman Viegas has proposed, a check that goes to needy people every month you, to help them? You, you know, I do think there should be. Myself and Alderman King are actually the other lead sponsors on Alderman Viegas's resolution. So I do think there should be guaranteed income. We have set How up much? the systems. What, what we're looking at in the pilot is $500 a month. So we're calling for a, a $5 million pilot. Other cities like Atlanta and Houston have done this as well. Uh, looking at a targeted area and, you know, it's not meant to replace it income, but just to help people, you know, meet that rent check or be able to get the food, be able to help with some additional supplies for their kids. But yes, I do think that putting money in the hands of our neighbors is one of the most effective ways to support our economy and, and help people to support themselves. A pilot program where, for how many, and, and what would be the qualifier? You know, we're still looking at some of those details. So in our resolution, we're calling for some hearings, right? So we don't have all the answers, but we've got some really good examples in other cities. And so I know that Alderman Villegas will be um, holding hearings in our Committee on Economic Capital and Technology Development, where we come up with some of those questions and use some expertise, folks from the city, some of our partners from the nonprofit sector to help us answer that question to develop the pilot. So that's the goal of the resolution. Yeah, I remember when Alderman Pawar, the former Alderman Pawar, proposed this initially, he talked about $1,000 mm -hmm. a month. Yes. 
Why 500? That seems kind of low. 500 is a, it's still a good amount of money. So again, not looking at income replacement, I'm sure we're open to different ideas, but based on some of the pilots we've seen in other cities and also based on, while it wasn't necessarily a guaranteed income pilot, but based on some of the pandemic relief that we've had experience with in the city, we think that $500 is enough money to have a significant impact, but also to allow us to, with the amount that we're looking for, reach more people. And you think that helps people give them a hand up, not a hand out? Yes. People know how best to meet their needs. And I'll say even on this very small scale, I mentioned our Rogers Park Community Response Team. We worked with one of our local nonprofits, Northside Community Resources, to come up with what would it look like to do hardship payments. We did $500 payments. We worked with other local nonprofit partners to help identify residents, the residents who were calling, who needed that money for rent, they needed that money for food, and to give them funds. And it's not a handout. It's giving people, like, we all need money and we need money for our basic needs, but letting people determine how they're going to use those funds, you know, and a lot of folks, it just helps to close the gap. We know the cost of housing here, the cost of food, the cost of everything has gone up. It helps to close the gap and it's not a handout. And hopefully, right, when we look at larger guaranteed income goals, the idea is, you know, what if this was a universal basic for everyone? It's not a handout, just a recognition of what people need to just provide a a little close that gap a little bit more between the the top the top earners and the people who get left behind let's talk about the botched raid on the wrong home of anjanette young the heartbreaking shocking video of an innocent woman standing naked handcuffed crying and pleading with male officers Uh, standing there for 40 minutes before anybody allowed her to get dressed and after a female officer was finally summoned to the home. You were the prime mover behind a sweeping ordinance to dramatically alter the Chicago Police Department's search warrant policies, and yet Mayor Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown announced their own reforms this week that don't go nearly as far as your ordinance does. Their version is now up for 15 days of public comment. What's the difference between your version and theirs And what was your reaction to the mayor once again going her own way instead of taking the lead of black female aldermen like yourself? So I'll say, I won't go into all of them, but our ordinance differs from the mayor's policy in about 17 different ways. But I'm going to focus on the the top three. Um, top three ways in which we're really different. So one is how we crafted this ordinance. So this ordinance, it's named after Miss Young, but also came directly with her input. And we worked with community organizations like Black Lives Matter Chicago, the Westside chapter of the NAACP, the National Panhellenic Council, the Chicago chapter, Progressive Baptist Church, Network 49, and and yes, and heard and had direct input from people who've been the victims of these wrong raids. And that's why we think it's very important to make sure that in addition to some of the things the mayor's proposing, we need to really address what we do with the use of force. So one of the points that we've got in our ordinance is around how we address people having guns pointed at them, specifically children, right? Children shouldn't have guns pointed at them. I know that in the mayor's uh, executive order, there's, okay, you've got to do a little bit more investigation, right? You've got to look to see if there are going to be vulnerable people or children present. We would like to go further and say, if there are, and you're doing this investigation, you know that, 
You shouldn't be pointing guns at children. You shouldn't be restraining them. You should refrain from pointing guns at, at parents or, or parental figures, right, if children are present and, and really stipulating, like, where, where's been some of the harm and trauma? that we've heard from our residents when these raids happen. I'll say another piece that we're we're really looking to address here is the accountability. So where's the accountability? So, you know, this the, the mayor's proposal here fails to require the superintendent to immediately strip the police of powers when there's reasonable cause to believe that they violated the policy. And that's what we're really looking for here. You know, does someone violate the policy? Great, there's an investigation. They, they should they should be suspended and, and removed from duty while those disciplinary proceedings continue. And then another another piece that I'll, I'll throw out there is really around the record keeping. Now in her executive order, she does talk about the record keeping that must be done around negative raids or wrong raids, right? Like, oh, you had the uh, wrong address, great, we need to do an investigation. We want to see the same detailed documentation for every raid. And I think, you know, what I learned from the CBS2 investigation and, and their story was how difficult how difficult it was to gather the data because it wasn't it wasn't in any discernible way like reasonably recorded in caps not in one place and we know our police department does not have a good history of record keeping and so one of the things in our ordinance that's also different is really asking for the record keeping for all raids not just wrong raids not just the negative raids so do you have the votes for yours and are you going to go forge ahead we plan to forge ahead. So we're in the process of gathering co-sponsors now. Um, we have a lot of interest. I, I'll tell you, I just sent out co-sponsor forms yesterday. So I don't have a, a number for you yet, but we certainly have had a few more people sign on. I know that this is an issue that our Progressive Caucus is very interested in supporting, and we want a hearing in the Committee on Public Safety. I know that Chairman Talia Farrow mentioned in the press conference where they released it that he wasn't sure if you would give us a hearing, but I know we will be asking for one. And this is a legislative process. You know, that's another piece. I commend the mayor for, for putting forth an order and working on this issue, right? We definitely want to see, you know, the executive taking action on this, but we are the city council and we're the elected body for the city as well. And we have a legislative process that's, that's rooted in um, accountability and transparency and democracy. And I know that I ran to, to bring more of those values to Chicago City Council. So we owe it to we owe it to our residents to have this hearing, to have this discussion. I think that we should bring the, the, the contents of the mayor's executive order into the hearing as well so that we have a more robust discussion about this and we deserve a vote. What does this say about Lori Lightfoot and the way she governs? It's not the first time she goes her own way. She's essentially doing the very same thing on civilian police oversight and on an elected school board, both key campaign promises of hers. I'll, I'll say people have their own way of doing things, right? She's in executive leadership and it's not it's not the way I would do things. It's not my preference, right? And I think, as you mentioned in some of the other pieces, civilian oversight uh, being one of them, but in some of our housing issues uh, as well, she she does want to go her own way. She is the mayor of Chicago. She is certainly, you know, authorized and, and able to do so. She's got a great team around her. 
But what's more important here is what are the community voice, right? Like what does the community want? And I think that the advantage that we have and the way that we're doing things, um, myself, Alderman Sophia King, Alderman Hairston, Alderman Taylor and Alderman Coleman, working with this coalition is making sure we're centering community. I think it makes for better policy. I think it brings more accountability and it's the preferred way that I like to work, but also the, the power in the Chicago City Council, right? This is how we can do things. Lightfoot has been under fire for her changing story about what she knew and when she knew it about the raid on Anjanette Young's home. Her law department tried to block Channel 2 from airing that shocking and disturbing video of the raid. She initially said she knew nothing about the raid until Channel 2 aired the video. And then after a search of her own internal emails, it turned out she was informed of a, quote, very bad raid on Ms. Young's home in November of 2019 and was so alarmed by that warning that she asked for a meeting with her top aides that very same day. What the mayor has admitted that she has lost, the tr public trust in her has been lost from this. Will she ever get that back? Has she gotten it back? Does she have work to do? I think we all have work to do, and I can't speak to whether she's gotten it back or will get it back. Who's to say? I can say for residents here in the 49th Ward, my residents are, are looking to me and they're looking to other aldermen in Chicago City Council to do what's right. And, and that's where, again, we maybe in maybe in administrations past, people were content to have executive orders from the mayor to to try and solve all the problems. But we're beyond that. And it's not even about Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Chicagoans expect more from their government. And I think that, you know, what we have here in our ordinance is an, is an, an attempt to respond to that. We need to come up with our own solutions. We need to do it with community. We need to center community voice and we need to win back the trust that all of Chicago government, I think, has lost over many decades, right? Not even just, you know, recent years. But it's also the strength in going through an ordinance like ours and working through a legislative process like Chicago City Council. This is not leaving the, the accountability or the value or the perception of a policy change up to one person, right? And that's where we've got some strength here. The mayor, uh, you know, has lost some credibility on this issue. So why would people, why would people trust her executive order? But here through a people's process, through the legislative process, we have the opportunity to build more trust, to be transparent and to be accountable. And that's why this is going to be a better solution, why our ordinance and our process is better, in addition to having stronger protections for the human and civil rights of Chicagoans. The elected school board, she's throwing up all kinds of roadblocks now. She says the 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 bill that was drafted by Rob Martwick is it's too big a board. It's too unwieldy. The board races will be too expensive. She wants parental involvement. She promised to deliver this and yet she has yet to do it and we're approaching midterm. There's no there's no dancing around this one, Fran. She's absolutely wrong on this. We need an elected representative school board now. Chicago is the only district without it. I was supportive of this before the pandemic and can say now, you know, nearing that two-year point myself in office, having the experience of trying to support parents and, and, and teachers and principals in our school community through the pandemic, we need elected representation to take the to take the very unique brand of mayoral politics 
out of how our schools are run. It is not working for us. Also, think about all of the all of the decisions that our mayor as an executive office has for the city. We you know, between the, the schools, uh, the parks, the CTA, right? In a pandemic, I think we've seen more than ever why distributed power is going to lead to better solutions as well. I felt like community did not really have a voice in all of the debates of school. And I heard that time and time again from my residents. She's totally wrong on this one. I don't know why she's gone back on her promise. I don't know why she's putting up roadblocks, but I know that residents in the 49th Ward are, are absolutely tired of it. Civilian Police Review. As a candidate for mayor, she demanded that Rahm Emanuel empower a civilian oversight board to fire the police superintendent and establish police policy. She promised to deliver that commission within her first 100 days in office, now approaching midterm. She has yet to deliver. And again, we hear all kinds of reasons why. What do you make of that? I, I I don't I don't believe the reasons. I don't believe the excuses. With our Chicago Progressive Caucus and and as myself uh, a co-sponsor of both the CPAC and GAPA ordinances here in the 49th Ward, we've got strong resident support for both of these, and they've really shifted a lot towards CPAC. Honestly, over the last year, there is no reason we should be at at this point in time without having passed civilian review. And I think the responsibility lies squarely in the in the lap of the mayor on this. So whatever her reasons, I, I saw an article in, in the Sun-Times yesterday um, where she expanded on those thoughts. I, I, I don't believe Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Right? She, I heard her say. I, I don't she believe says, them. I don't believe them. <laughs> she says this has to be done in harmony with the police department, and that's harder to do in practice than in theory. She has concerns about the structure of governance. She has concerns about policy and who makes those decisions. What do you make of that? I am someone who very much appreciates process. A lot of my work before this was developing process. How you do things is important. Centering people who are the most impacted is is vital. And also, you can't you can't do those things just in a bubble and you you can't continue to fall back on excuses about this with harmony with the police department. The Chicago Police Department needs to come along with the rest of the city. And we do need to bring them along. But we've got two fantastic ordinances that have been on the table um, since before I came into office. You know, the mayor worked right directly with one of those she's had plenty of time and if we keep waiting things will keep changing right things will keep changing but policy can be adapted we needed civilian oversight passed last year we needed it passed in 2019 i think that we would have been better off as a city had it been passed sooner but the harmony that she's talking about we've been working on through the chicago progressive caucus with 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 many community organizations with sponsors of gapa and cpac and have been toiling hard to build that harmony because again chicagoans deserve it we can't afford to wait any longer because we're not just talking about good government. We're not just talking about good policy. We are talking about lives of Chicagoans. We're talking about accountability and again, trust in government. And it, then there is the painfully yeah. slow progress towards the, the compliance with the federal consent decree outlining the terms of federal court oversight over the police department. She said this week that it's one thing to check the boxes on court mandates. It's quite another for outsiders to try and change the hearts and minds and culture of an entrenched institution like the Chicago Police Department that's comfortable 
with its culture. Mm -hmm. Do you buy that? There's certainly truth in that, right? I think there's truth in that. It is very difficult to change culture, to change the hearts and minds of entrenched culture and people who are comfortable with that culture. We're seeing that at larger scales in our entire country, right? And so, but that's not reason to, that's not reason to delay it. It's not, it doesn't excuse a lack of compliance, especially when the Chicago Police Department serves the city of Chicago. They serve the residents of Chicago. It's difficult and I, I, I'm very understanding that it's going to be slow, but it's, you know, coming back to civilian accountability. That's why it's very important where we know things are going to take time, where we know things are going to be slow and hard and difficult to make sure that we make the advances that we can when we can, because we, it, it, it will help. We need to build that momentum. We need to change the culture and we can't keep waiting around for the the department that is causing us such trouble, right? Like we need to bring them along. And and if they're the roadblock, we can't keep building policy around them because we'll always end up in the same place. And then we have speed cameras and the lower threshold that was authorized under Rahm Emanuel, but never taken advantage of. This week, the city started taking advantage of it, ticketing motorists uh, driving between six and 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. You have argued that this is another broken promise because she promised to lift this burden, this revenue generating burden on people who could least afford it. And yet here she is going even tougher. It's another bad call. I don't think it will. It's not going to serve residents. I'm already hearing complaints in my office. This is something that I did not support, even though I ended up supporting the budget overall. I wish it hadn't been included in the in the budget package. And it, it does. It comes down to nickeling and diming, you know, people who could least afford it. Some of those initial numbers coming out last week about how many people would be impacted by it. One, I, I hope the warning systems work, but I do think that this is going to end up being something that we have to review and perhaps perhaps pressure to, to roll back. And, and so with these broken promises and the propensity to go our own way, as we approach midterm, what would you say the chances are that Lori Lightfoot will be reelected? Oh, I, I don't know that I can speak to that, Fran. I'll I'll maybe speak from the, the 49th Ward. As a representative of the 49th Ward, I can say that residents here are, are not very pleased with, with the mayor's performance so far. Um, what bothers I, I hear that, them most? What bothers them most about her? I, I'd say the, the lack of movement on police reform. So civilian accountability, consent decree, the... The the not like Chicago was one of the only major cities to not make movement on really changing our budgetary structure around how we fund police in comparison to other things. And I'm hearing that loud and clear from my residents. I'll say some of them were very displeased with my vote on the budget. And we had lots of conversations afterwards. You know, I'm committed to making sure that we're really shifting our focus and our funds and listening to community. And I, I hope that the I hope that the mayor would do the same. Alderman Maria Haddon, thank you so very much for joining us. A very thank interesting you. two years and another two coming up and we'll see what happens. And in terms yeah, of the, who, who the knows, between right? the and the council. Yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah, we and I you, hope we see each other again soon. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Thank you so much for having me on, friend. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>